Well, I would encourage you uh, to join me in opening God's Word back up to uh, that portion of Scripture uh, where we were just a little bit ago in the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark. I uh, was thinking earlier in the week uh, before I knew that I would be preaching today. Justin was planning on preaching today, but uh, some illness, physical difficulties has prevented him, and he uh, is at home, as you know. But uh, I was thinking about uh, what we face. I mean, every day what we're facing uh, in this country in which we live, and uh, how desperately we as God's people need to get our eyes back on the Lord. Uh, and I got to thinking about faith. And that's really what faith is, isn't it? It's, it's getting our eyes on the Lord, keeping our eyes on the Lord. Uh, as the Apostle tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, we're to be looking away unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, Faith is so absolutely essential in the life of a believer. <laughs> a believer is one who exercises faith. Uh, and, and faith is crucial. Faith is essential. There is nothing uh, to so-called Christianity if there's no faith in it. It's all about faith. It's all about trust. It's all about dependence uh, upon the Lord. And then this morning, as I was thinking earlier about what today is, most of you are well aware of what today is. It's the what is the 21st anniversary of what happened on 9-11, 21 years ago uh, in New York City when terrorists uh, destroyed the World Trade Center. Uh, and how that Almost immediately after that, you could sense that people in this country were realizing that they need the Lord, as if they hadn't had even realized that the day before. How quickly, how quickly that, but just as quickly it seems, almost, uh, that was gone again. Uh, you know, Folks begin to talk about the need to trust the Lord, the need to trust the Lord. But as I got to thinking about that, uh, I think for the most part, though folks were realizing a need to really put their trust and their confidence in the Lord because of what happened and, and what may continue to happen and what really has continued to happen to some degree, you know, since that day, that though they were looking, I say they, though we were looking to the reality of the fact that we needed to get our eyes back on the Lord and we needed to, to be believing in Him and trusting in Him. There was missing from that the other side of that coin to a great extent. And that is what? Repentance. Repentance. Though there was a sense of a need to trust God, nobody wanted to forsake sin. Nobody wanted to leave their sin behind. Uh, 
And before we actually read from our text in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, let me just read you a couple of verses, if I could, uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 20. I mean, you're free to turn there if you'd like, uh, but you don't have to. Just listen if you'd prefer. But in Acts, the 20th chapter, the Apostle Paul uh, was meeting with the elders from the church in Ephesus. And he was talking to them about several things. But in verses 20 and 21, uh, he reminded them how he did not shrink uh, from declaring to them anything that was profitable for them and, and teaching them in public and from house to house. And then he says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole truth right there about the matter, isn't it? And half of it's not enough. Half of it's not enough. If you say you're trusting God and not wanting to forsake sin, I'm not saying are completely successful in doing so because we struggle with that until the Lord is pleased to take us home. But the desire to, to forsake sin, to leave sin behind, to be done with sin is crucial and there is no looking to Jesus Christ in true faith if there's not the other side of that coin, repentance. A desire to forsake and turn from sin. And that's the desperate need of the hour. The desperate need of the hour. For me, and I believe for you, and for all who profess to be God's children, we must not lose sight of the fact that we must repent. And the, the Greek for repent, like when Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The, the tense for the, the, the verb repent there is a present tense. It means an ongoing thing. You've got to repent and keep on repenting. And the same with faith, the other side of the coin. You're to believe and keep on believing. It's not something we just do at a point in time and then don't have to worry about again. It's an ongoing thing. It's a life, as the Apostle Paul made it very clear. The just, those who are justified by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Christ, live by faith. Live by faith. Constantly live by faith, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, the more I thought about that, the more I believe the Lord would have us consider the subject of faith this morning. And as we do so, though we do not uh, plan really to deal with, with repentance any great extent here this morning other than what I've already mentioned uh, don't ever forget don't ever forget when you contemplate believing on the Lord you must also be taking into consideration the other side of that looking to Christ requires looking away from our sin and forsaking our sin and may God be pleased to impress that deeply upon our hearts this morning as we consider God's word in regard to the subject of faith. And if I were to put a title to the message this morning, as I often like to do, almost always like to do, I would simply entitle the message, uh, Miracle Working Faith. Miracle Working Faith. Look with me back at uh, Mark chapter 11, if you would. The 11th chapter of, of uh, Mark. Mark. 
And uh, I'm just going to read uh, at this time verses 20 through 24 because this is where my text basically is found primarily in verse 24. But if you'd look with me here in Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse uh, uh, 20, here the scripture tells us that as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Well, we visited that a little bit earlier there, didn't we? When they were going into Jerusalem and, and Jesus was hungry and he saw a fig tree and thought, well, to check it out that there might be some fruit there. And there wasn't. And so he, uh, he cursed the, the fig tree. And now we, after, after he had gone into the temple and run out the money changers, we find ourselves back at the fig tree again with uh, Peter and the other apostles along with the Lord Jesus. And so as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. An imperative. Absolutely essential. Bearing in mind that faith in God cannot be divorced from Repentance from sin. Repentance of sin. A godly sorrow over our sin that causes us to want to forsake it and leave it behind. Have faith in God. Truly, Jesus went on to say, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you had received it, and it will be yours. Well, bow with me for just a moment, would you? Lord God, we bow in your presence again and simply want to commit this time into your hands, praying that it might please you, Lord, to open the eyes of our understanding, to give us a hearing heart. Oh, Lord, that we might hear that voice, that still small voice quietly behind us saying, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Oh, Lord, show us the way more clearly. Show us Christ more clearly, more fully. And may we walk after Him. Walk in Him. Oh, turning from sin, believing in Christ with all of our heart. Help us, Lord, this morning to see and understand how needful this is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there are those... There are those who have jumped on a verse like verse uh, 23 uh, that says, uh, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Uh, there are those that, uh, I've, I've actually even heard some of them on TV and on the radio and various places calling it, name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not what Jesus is saying. They were to name it and claim it. But rather, uh, we are to believe with all of our heart in the revealed sovereign will of God in regard to these matters that we're to pray about. Uh, God's will is crucial. A knowing of God's will, a seeking to know God's will is so critically important in our prayer lives. And so we're not to just name it and claim it. 
we're to realize if God has named it, if God has named it, then by His grace we can claim it. If God has named it. And so I trust that the Lord will impress that upon our hearts. And then he went on to say in verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Well, most of you are well aware of the fact that uh, I like to give definitions to words. I've done this for years because I, I, I believe that we're often guilty as we teach and as we preach uh, of just assuming that everybody understands what the meaning of a word is as, as we have seen it to be revealed in God's word, and, and yet they may not. And so I like to, to give some definitions, uh, you know, as we consider the scripture together. And I, I've got a dictionary that, that I have thir- thoroughly enjoyed. Some of you may, I know some of you have it. If, if you don't, I'd encourage you to get one. It is the uh, uh, Noah Webster Dictionary of 1828. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to find an old copy because they've reprinted it and they're available even today. But I like it because Noah Webster was a godly man. He was a Christian. And his definitions are just almost immersed in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, his illustrations for the use of a word are most often from Scripture. And uh, it's been a blessing to me. And I looked up faith in, the, in Webster's Dictionary of 1828, and my goodness, I mean, there's a string of definitions about this long, and I just copied off just a few of them, and, and there's more down here and more up here that I, I didn't even, because I didn't feel like they were definitions that pertained specifically to what we're thinking about here this morning. But let me just share a few of these with you. His definition of faith, he says, it's belief. Faith is belief. It is the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity or his truthfulness without without other evidence. Well, that's one definition he gets. A second one is belief on probable evidence of any kind. A third definition in theological uh, circles. It is the assent of the mind or understanding of the truth of what God has revealed. And I like that. I like that. It's the assent of the mind or understanding to the truth of what God has revealed. And then fourthly, uh, a definition that perhaps pertains much more to what we're talking about here this morning. Uh, He says as far as evangelical justifying or saving faith is concerned. And by the way, saving faith is not just the faith that is exercised when we first come to a knowledge of Christ and trust in Him to take away the guilt and the penalty of our sin. Salvation, the salvation of the Lord is an ongoing thing. Isn't it? He has saved me. He is saved me. He will save me. And so saving faith is more than just the faith we exercise in Christ when we first come to Him and trust Him to be our Savior. It's an ongoing thing. And so when we talk about evangelical or justifying or saving faith, we want to include past, present, and future. And so he says, this faith is the ascent of the mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony, accompanied with a cordial ascent of the will or approbation of the heart, an entire confidence or trust 
in God's character and declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender to the will of his guidance and dependence on the merits, on his merits of salvation. In other words, the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. That's faith. That's faith as we're considering it here in God's Word this morning. And so I have some questions to ask now. Some questions to ask, and then we're going to look at a, another definition or two in a little bit. But some questions. Number one, uh, where does one get faith like that? Where does it come from? Where do we get it? Well, perhaps you remember that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing uh, his letter to the church at Rome, he tells us in uh, the 10th chapter of Romans in verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Where do we get faith? God shows us something in His Word that gets a hold of our heart. And we want to begin, we cling to it, we cling to it. And that's faith. That's faith. Where do we get it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How then does one get such faith? How do you get it? Well, most of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, aren't you? Where the Apostle Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Where do we get it? How do we get it? It's a gift. It's a gift. And if God hasn't given the gift to you, you don't have faith. Faith is a gift that only God has to give. Only Christ has such a gift to impart. Well, thirdly, who gets faith? Who gets it? Well, there's a verse in the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 48 that says, all who were ordained to eternal life believed. All who were ordained to eternal life. Who is it that has faith? Who is it? Those whom God before the foundation of the world ordained to have eternal life. That's the ones who get faith. Who get faith. Well, one last question. Where is it found? Where is it found? It is found only in a regenerate heart. Only in a regenerate heart. A heart that is made alive unto God. Let me just share with you, if I could, a few scriptures here in regard to this. Because this is so crucial. This is so crucial. A lot of people who claim to have faith don't have faith at all because they think that faith is something they have to have in order to be born again. When in reality, the opposite is actually the truth. You must be born again or you don't have faith. You must be born again or you don't have faith because faith, along with repentance, are fruits that flow out of regeneration or having been given new life in Christ. Look with me in John chapter 1, would you? The Gospel according to John chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. I like the Gospel of John and I love chapter 1. 
of John's account of the gospel. And you probably already know that because I refer to it so often. Doesn't matter what I'm preaching on, I find somewhere another to get back to John chapter 1, seems like. But uh, look at verses 12 and 13, would you? Well, look back up to verse 11, uh, where it tells, John tells us that he, that is talking about Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Talking about the Jews, and, and primarily the ringleaders that, that led the Jews to not receive Christ as the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they, uh, they rejected him, and so they did not receive him. But, verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now listen to verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that, verse 13, what he talks about, precedes the believing and the receiving of verse 12. If God didn't quicken a man by the power of His Spirit, a man who is dead in trespasses sin, if God doesn't do that, you will not truly, savingly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Won't happen. Won't happen. Must be born again. And isn't that what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about? All we see as we look at the third chapter of the Gospel according to John, Jesus speaking uh, to Nicodemus, and He tells him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you're born from above, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean see with physical eyes. That means see with a heart that's alive unto God because we're talking about spiritual realities here, spiritual truths. And Nicodemus, unless you are born again, unless you have new life given to you, you're dead. You're dead. And a dead man has nothing to do with things that require spiritual life. And so you must be born again. And the, the account goes on there where Jesus continues to deal with Nicodemus about the new birth. And it's such a mystery to Nicodemus. He doesn't understand it. Why didn't he understand it? Because the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. As Paul will tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Oh, but if one is born again, Jesus goes on then just a little bit further. And what's he begin to talk about to Nicodemus? He's still talking to Nicodemus throughout the third chapter. But he moves from the, the crucial and essential and imperative need for one who is dead in sin to be made alive unto God through the new birth, through regeneration. And then he immediately goes into believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most familiar verses in all of God's Word is verse 16 of John chapter 3. Where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But it's no good to really deal with the subject of believing in Christ if you remain dead in your sin. If you remain dead in your sin. Who is it? Who is it then that receives this gift of faith? The one who has a new heart. The one who has a new heart. The one who's made alive unto God. The Apostle Paul 
as he wrote in Ephesians, his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, we made reference to verse 8 a little bit earlier. Let's look back up a little further at the beginning of chapter 2 of Ephesians, where Paul begins this section of his letter to them, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all in the same boat. That's what Paul said. All in the same boat. We come into this world dead spiritually. Dead to God. Alienated from God. Separated from God. A little bit later say without, without hope and without God in the world. That's, that was our condition. We were all there when we came into this world. All but verse 4. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The gift of God. Believing. Believing. Oh, how needful, how essential it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas, as it's recorded for us in the 16th chapter of Acts, Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi were doing what they were always doing, preaching the gospel, declaring Christ to be the only Savior for us sinners. And they were imprisoned for it. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praises to God. And I want you to understand that uh, prison for them is quite different than being in jail today. You don't have a TV. You don't have all the conveniences, you know, that so many of them have. This was a dungeon. This was probably a dark, damp dungeon infested with rats. And not only were they in prison there, they were secured in the stocks, chained, bound. And yet they were singing God's praises at midnight. Well, you can understand why this would get the attention of this Philippian jailer. And I'm sure he began to listen to some of the things that Paul and Silas were singing praises to God about. As you can well imagine what that would be. God's grace. God's mercy to poor undeserving sinners like us. And the Spirit of God evidently got a hold of this jailer's heart, deeply convicted him of his sin. And he rushed to Paul and Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do be saved. And what they tell you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And the kind of believing that Paul and Silas 
were talking about when they told this man to believe was a miracle-working faith. A miracle-working faith. In our text here this morning in Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, we are obviously seeing Jesus talk about something that would be very miraculous. Very miraculous. He said to them, Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, we're talking about a miracle here. Talking about a miracle. Uh, Among the Jews, uh, there was this saying, uh, you know, about moving mountains. Moving mountains. Well, that was a saying that was used among the Jews, you know, to refer to something that was literally impossible. An impossibility. Oh, but nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And this was the lesson that Jesus was seeking to teach his disciples at this time. Nothing is impossible with God. Trust him. If God says it, if God promises it, then you can bank on it. You can bank on it. If God has made a promise, he's faithful to fulfill it. And he grants the kind of faith that is a miracle-working faith. Well, as we go on this morning, I want us to consider a couple more definitions by Webster. A definition uh, of miracle and of miraculous. Webster says, as he defines miracle, it is a wonder or wonderful thing, a supernatural event. That's what a miracle is. It's a supernatural event. Miraculous. It's something performed supernaturally or by a power beyond the ordinary agency of natural laws. Effected by the direct agency of almighty power and not by natural causes. That's what's miraculous. And the faith that is a gift from God is indeed a miracle-working faith. Now, there are a couple of words in the Greek uh, New Testament uh, that are translated miracle in our English Bibles. One of them is dunamis. Dunamis. It's the same root word from which we get our word dynamite. Dunamis. It is power or inherent ability of works of supernatural origin or character such as could not be produced by natural means. That's dunamis, miracle. Another word is semeon, semeon. It's a sign or token used of miracles and wonders. And if you take into consideration the, uh, the definition of these Greek words uh, for miracle, then I think we can safely say that Webster's definitions are pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. A supernatural act. Something that could not be accomplished by natural means or a natural cause. Now the passage that we have before us here in Mark chapter 11 this morning is truly an amazing portion of God's Word as it speaks to us so clearly of the gift of miraculous faith. Miraculous faith. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, 
and it will be yours. Now, a key here is uh, back in verse 22, have faith in God. It's God that we're trusting. It's God we're putting our confidence in. It's God we're believing. We're believing a promise that God has given. And prayer is also key in this subject here this morning. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, in prayer, whatever you ask. Oh, but it's so important for us to understand uh, that as John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him or that we ask of Him. God's will. You know, true prayer. True prayer is not just rushing into God's presence and throwing up to God, you know, concerns that we have without taking into consideration is it something God's concerned about? Has God made His will known? Has God indicated to us by the working of His Spirit in our hearts that this is something that is not only important for us, but is the purpose of Almighty God? When we pray according to God's will, then we can have all the confidence in the world because God has made a promise. God has made a promise in His purpose. So when we look at that our text this morning, we see how central faith is to the meaning of this passage of Scripture. You leave out faith and it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Doesn't make any sense at all. Now we've established so many, many times in the past that the Lord Jesus is truly God come in the flesh. Takes us back to John chapter 1 again, doesn't it? Where we read, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then verse 14 tells us that this Word, this eternal Word of God, this Word who always has been, always will be, this Word who... What, what created everything that exists. This Word became flesh. Became a man. God became a man. God became a man. Oh, amazing, isn't it? To consider beyond our ability to understand. How can this happen? How can God become a man and still remain God? Always, could, always been God, always will be, but became man. Took upon Himself flesh. And John went on to say, and we beheld His glory. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our faith is in this one. It is in this one, the God-man. And to believe in Him is to believe Actually, because we are in Him. That's what believing in Him is. It's not just believing something about Him out here somewhere. It's actually exercising faith because we are in Him. 
That's how the gift of faith operates in our lives. Because we are in Christ. And if you separate Christ from what you call faith, you're not really believing. You're not really believing. True faith is only found in the God-man. Saving faith is only found in the God-man. And it's only if we are in Him that we exercise real saving faith. How do we get in Him? How do we get in Him? I believe we looked at that a little bit last week, didn't we? What it means to be in Christ. It happens when we are born of God. Born of the Spirit of God. When we were quickened, when we were made alive unto God, we were made alive where? In Christ. In Christ. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. If any man has not Christ, he doesn't have life, John says. You don't have life if you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have faith. But if you have Christ, you have faith. You have faith. And this is the kind of faith that we're reading about here in our text this morning. As Paul wrote his letter to Titus in Titus chapter 1, perhaps you'll begin how he, he begins that letter to Titus. Let me just read it to you. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began or in times eternal. Some translations have uh, in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie. And either one is good because both are true who never lies. He never lies because he cannot lie. If God ever was deceptive in any degree, he would cease to be God. He cannot lie. So what about the promises we have from the Lord? What about the promises he makes? Can we believe them? Without a question. Without a doubt. And what is this word but a book full of promises from God? You want to know what to pray about? You want to know what to trust God for? Find a promise in God's Word. Find a promise in God's Word. And don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. And what James says, James in chapter 1 says, when we pray, we do so not doubting. For if any man doubts, uh, we're like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. And let not that man think that he should receive anything of the Lord can't doubt who are we doubting what are we doubting the very word of God the very word of one who cannot lie will not lie never has and never will and what an affront it is to God what a disgrace it is to his name to cast doubt upon the veracity and the truthfulness and the faithfulness of holy God Jesus Christ is the God-man. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him with all your heart. God wanted this fact of God's faithfulness and truthfulness 
be known to his people from way back early on in among God, back in the book of Numbers, chapter 23 of Numbers and verse 19. God speaks to his people there and he says, God is not man that he should lie. Not man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Rhetorical questions, aren't they? We know the answer to that. God is faithful. This is something God wanted his people to know way back when and something they have us to know now. If we're going to trust God, we need to realize we're trusting the faithfulness of God to his word, to his promise. So when we pray with a verse like our text in mind and we don't see our prayer answered in the way that we expected, well, there may be several reasons for that. But rest assured that none of those reasons will ever be the unfaithfulness of God. Never be the unfaithfulness of God. Unfaithfulness of the one who made the promise. This promise in verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. This promise is spoken by the one who is God of very God. God of very God. And he cannot lie or be unfaithful to his own word. Oh, be faithful. Be faithful. Well, there's so much more that we could say about faith and God willing, we'll have to come back to this. We'll have to come back to this. There's so much more to understand and realize about what it means to truly believe the Lord. And don't lose sight of the fact of what we said a little bit earlier. Uh, to say that you believe, to say that you're trusting Christ and all the while refusing to part with your sin and realize you're not really trusting Him. You're not really trusting Him. Because repentance and faith go hand in hand. One coin with two sides. If you truly repent, that means you're turning from your sin. But if you're turning from your sin, the only thing that to turn to is the one who delivers us from it. Christ, and that's faith. That's faith. And to say that you're trusting Him, coming to Him, trusting Him with all your heart, implies that you're forsaking everything else. God, help us to see and understand these things. May we profit from the Word of God this morning. May we benefit from the Word of God. I pray that we have heard that still small voice behind us say, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walking, trusting Him, believing Him, His faithfulness, His promises. God help us. Let's pray.